Chapter Seven of Grandmother Elsie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bria Snow. Grandmother Elsie by Martha Finlay. Chapter Seventh. Therein he them full fair did entertain, not with such forged shows as fit a bane for courting fools and courtesies would fain but with entire affection plain spencer's fairy queen one bright morning in november the iron family was gathered about the breakfast-table rosie and walter were there for the first time since their severe illness a trifle pale and thin still but nearly in usual health and very glad to be permitted to take their old places at the table Mrs. Dinsmore had returned from her sojourn at the Laurels, the home of her daughter Rose. The grandchildren there, who she had been nursing, had also recovered their health, and so the places of the eldest son and daughter of the house were the only vacant ones. Both Elsie and Edward were sorely missed, especially by their mother and Violet. "'It seems time we had letters again from our absentees, Papa,' Mrs. Travilla remarked as she poured the coffee. We have had none since the telegram giving the hour of the wedding. No, but perhaps we may hear this morning. The mail has not yet come. Yes, Grandpa, here comes Solon with it, said Harold, glancing away from the window. In a few moments the man came in, bringing the mail bag, which he handed to Mr. Dinsmore. All looked up with interest, the younger ones in eager expectation, while their grandfather opened it and examined the contents. Yes, daughter. Here is a letter from each of them, both directed to you, he said, glancing over the addresses on several letters which he now held in his hand. Here, Tom, to the servant-in-waiting, take these to your mistress. Don't read them to the neglecting of your breakfast, he added with a smile, again addressing Mrs. Travilla. No, sir, they will keep, she answered, returning the smile, and you shall all share the pleasure of their perusal with me after prayers. Doubtless they give the particulars we all want so much to learn. They all gathered round her at the appointed time. She held the letters open in her hand, having already given them a cursory examination, lest there should be some little confidence intended for none but mother's eye. Papa, she said, looking up half tearfully but smiling at him as he stood by her eyes, the deed is done and another claims my first-born darling as his own. You have not lost her, Elsie dearest, but have gained a son, and I trust we shall have them both with us ere long, he responded, bending down to touch his lips to the brows, still as smooth and fair as in the days of her girlhood. Poor dear Elsie, how she must have missed and longed for you, dearest mamma, Violet sighed, kneeling close to her mother's chair and putting her arms around her. What is it? All about Elsie's wedding? asked Herbert. Please tell us about it, mamma. The telegram told nothing but the hour when it was to be, and I was so surprised, for I never understood that that was what she went away for. No, I, said Harold, though I suppose it was very stupid in us not to understand. Who did get married with my sister Elsie, Mamma? asked little Walter. Mr. Leland, my son. But I thought he was most dead, remarked Rosie in surprise. He has been very ill, her mother said, but is improving fast and not yet able to sit up. Rosie, opening her eyes wide in astonishment, was beginning another question when Harold stopped her. Wait, Rosie, don't you see Mamma is going to read the letters? They will tell us all about it, I presume. 
I shall read Edward's first. It gives a very minute account of what they have done since he wrote last, just after their arrival in Rome, the mother said. He is a good boy to take the trouble to tell us everything in detail, is he not, Papa? Yes, Mr. Dinsmore assented, seating himself by her side and taking Rosie upon one knee, Walter upon the other. And so good a mother richly deserves good, thoughtful sons and daughters, ever ready to do all in their power to promote her happiness or afford her pleasure. Does she not, children? Yes, Grandpa, indeed she does, they all replied in chorus. Her sweet, soft eyes glistened with happy tears as she sent a loving glance around the little circle. Then, all becoming perfectly quiet and attentive, she began to read. Edward's first item of important news was that the marriage had just taken place, the next that Lester's health was steadily improving. Then came a description of the rooms they were occupying, both as they were when first seen by Elsie and himself, and as they had come under his renovating and improving hands. After that he drew a vivid picture of Elsie's appearance in her bridal robes, told who were present at the ceremony, who performed it, how the several actors acquitted themselves, and what refreshments were served after it was over. He said he thought happiness was working a rapid cure with Lester, and from all that he could see and hear, his success as both a painter and a sculptor was already assured. Elsie's themes were the same, but she had much to say of Edward's kind thoughtfulness, his energy and helpfulness. The best and kindest of brothers, she called him, and as she read the words, the mother's eyes shone with love and pride in her eldest son. But her voice trembled, and the tears had to be wiped again once and again when she came to that part of the letter in which Elsie told her feelings as she robed herself for her wedding with none to assist but Dinah. How sad was her heart, dearly as she loved Lester, and how full of longing for home and mother and all the dear ones so far away. Then she told of the comfort she found in the idea that possibly her dear departed father might be near her in spirit. "'Was it wrong, Mamma? she asked, "'to think he might perhaps be allowed to be a ministering spirit to me in my loneliness, for me to take pleasure in the thought?' "'Mamma, what do you think about that?' asked Herbert thoughtfully. "'I don't know that we have any warrant for the idea in the scriptures,' she answered. "'It seems to be one of the things that is not revealed.' Yet I see no harm in taking comfort in the thought that it may be so. Um, my poor lonely darling, I am glad she had that consolation. Ah, Papa, what a different wedding from mine. Yes, he said, and from what we thought hers would be. But I trust you will never see cause to regret the step she has taken. Lester is well worth saving even at the sacrifice she has made. His daughter looked at him with glistening eyes. Thank you, Papa. That is a good thought, and consoles me greatly for both our darling and ourselves. She went on with the reading of the letter. There were but few more sentences. Then, while the others discussed its contents, Violet stole quietly from the room unobserved, she thought. But in that she was mistaken. Her mother's eyes followed her with a look of love and sympathy. Dear child, she said in the lower side to her father, she misses Elsie sorely. I sometimes think, almost more than I do, they were so inseparable and so strongly attached. Vi's heart was very full, for Elsie's marriage, though far, far from being so great a sorrow as the death of their father, seemed, in some respects, even more the breaking up of a life that had been very sweet to them all. She sought the studio she and Elsie had shared together, 
how lonely and deserted it seemed, and there gave vent to her feelings in a burst of sad tears. Oh, Elsie, darling, we were so happy together, such dear friends, with never a disagreement, hardly a thought unshared, and now I am alone, all alone. She had unconsciously spoken aloud, a soft, sweet voice echoed the word. Alone? Oh, my darling, no, not while your mother lives. You and I must clean the closer together, my dearest, the voice went on, while two loving arms enfolded her and a gentle kiss was imprinted upon cheek and brow. Dearest mamma, cried Violet, returning the caress, forgive me that I should indulge in such grief while you were left me, you and your dear love, the greatest of earthly treasures. Yes, dear child, your grief is very natural. These changes, though not unmixed calamities, are one of the hardest conditions of life in this world, dear daughter. But we must not let them mar our peace and happiness. Let us rejoice over the blessings that are left, rather than weep for those that are gone. I will try, mamma, Violet said, wiping away her tears. Ah, and how much I still have to rejoice in and be thankful for. Yes, dear, we both have. And not the least is the love of him who has said, Lo, I am with you always. Oh, the joy, the bliss of knowing that nothing can ever part us from him, and then to know, too, that some day we shall all be together in his immediate presence, beholding his face and bearing his image. Neva spoke again for some moments, and then the mother said, Thy dearest, there is nothing more conducive to cheerfulness at such a time as this than being fully employed, so I want you to take charge of Rosie and Walter for a few hours. They are not yet well enough for tasks or for out-of-door sports, but need to be amused. And your grandpa and grandma want me to drive with them to the Lowells and Roseland. Yes, do go, Mamma, and try and enjoy yourself. You have seen so little of Aunt Adelaide since she came, or of Aunt Rosie since the sickness began with her children and ours. Thank you for your trust. I shall do my best, Violet said with cheerful alacrity. Ah, the recovery of the darlings is one of the many mercies we have for which to be thankful. Yes, Vi, and my heart is full of joy and gratitude to the great physician. At Roselands, Mrs. Conley still lay helpless on her couch, the condition having changed very slightly for the better. She could now at times, with great effort, speak a word or two, but friends and physicians had scarcely a hope of any further improvement. She might live on thus for many years, or another stroke might at any moment bring the end. Cut off from all means of communicating her thoughts and feelings, she could show them only by the expression of her countenance, which was sullen, fierce, despairing, and piteous by the turn. She had the best of care from her sisters, her sons, and her old mammy, assisted occasionally by other friends and relatives, and could not fail to read in their faces and the tones of their voices tender pity and sympathy for her in a sore affliction. They could not tell whether she understood all that was said to her, but hoping that she did, spoke to her often of the loving Saviour, and tried to lead her to Him. Hitherto the iron friends had not been able to be with her a great deal, but it had not been necessary as Adelaide was still at Roselands. She, however, expected soon to return to her own home, and there would be greater need of her services. Therefore there was double reason her thankfulness for the restoration of health of the little ones at Iron and the Laurels, releasing, as it did, both Mrs. Dinsmore and Mrs. Travilla from the cares and labours which had occupied them for some weeks past. 
The latter gave expression to that thought while driving to the Lowells for her father and his wife, adding, I can now hold myself in readiness to take Aunt Adelaide's place at any moment. Not with my consent, said Mr. Dinsmore emphatically. If you consider yourself at all under my authority, you will take a week at least of entire rest and relaxation. She looked at him with her own sweet smile, full of filial love and reverence, and putting her hand in his, said, Yes, my dear father, that is still one of my great happinesses, as it has been almost ever since I can remember. Ah, it is often very restful to me just to resign myself to your wise and loving guidance and control. His fingers closed over the small daintily gloved hand, holding it in a warm and tender clasp. Then do not forget that you are not to undertake anything that can tax your strength without my knowledge and permission. Nor must you, Rose, he added with playful authority, turning a smiling and affectionate glance upon her. You too are worn out and must have some rest. Well, my dear, she said laughingly, I make no rash promises. You know I have never equaled Elsie in submissiveness. No, and yet you have usually shown yourself amenable to authority. Perhaps because it has been so seldom exerted. She saucily returned. My dear, we have not yet had our first quarrel, and have lived together for thirty-odd years. I think it would hardly be worth while to begin after so long a delay. Nor do I, she said. Therefore, I shall probably yield to your wishes in this matter, or commands, call them what you will, especially as they are in full accord with my own inclinations. Elsie, he said, turning to his daughter again, I have taken the liberty of inviting some guests to Ion this morning. Liberty, Papa, she explained. It would be impossible for you to take liberties with me or mine. I consider your rights and authority in any house of mine fully equal, if not superior, to my own. If the mistress of the mansion be subject to your control, she added with a bright look into his face and much of the old-time archness in her smile, surely all else must be. Thank you, daughter. Then I have not taken a liberty but I have invited the guests all the same. You do not ask how it happened or who they are, but I proceed to explain. And glancing over the morning paper, while you and Rose were dressing for the drive, I saw among the items of news that Donald Keith is in our city. So I dispatched Solon with a carriage and a hastily written note asking Donald to come out and see us, bringing with him any friend or friends he might choose. I'm glad you did, Papa. They shall have a warm welcome. But will it not make it necessary for us to return home earlier than we intended? No, not at all. It is not likely they will arrive until near our dinner hour, if they come at all today. And if they should be there earlier, Violet is quite capable of entertaining them. Yes, said Mrs. Tinsmore. I know of no one more competent to minister to the enjoyment of either grown people or children. With regard to talent, sweetness, or disposition, and utter unselfishness combined, Elvi is one of a thousand. Thank you, Mamma, for saying it, Elsie said, her eyes shining with pleasure. She seems all that to me, but I thought it might be that Mother Love magnified her good qualities and made me blind her imperfections. Violet, in the nursery at home, was showing herself worthy of this praise by her efforts to amuse little ones and keep them from missing the dear mother who had been so constantly with them of late. She played quiet little games with them, told them beautiful stories, showed them pictures and drew others for them, dressed dolls for Rosie and cut paper horses for Walter. Several hours were passed thus, 
Then, seeing them begin to look weary, for they were still weak from their recent illness, she coaxed them to lie down while she sang them to sleep. The closed eyes and soft breathing telling that they slept, she rose and bent over them for a moment, gazing tenderly into each little face, and then drawing out her watch and turning to the old nurse, whispered, It is time for me to dress for dinner, Mammy. I'll go now, but if they wake and want me, please let me know at once. Her dressing was scarcely completed when the sound of wheels caught her ears. There, Mamma has come. Dear Mamma, she said half aloud, and presently hastened from the room to meet and welcome her. But instead a servant was coming leisurely up the broad stairway. Where is Mamma Prilla? the girl asked in a slight disappointed tone. Miss Elsie not come yet, Miss Violet. The gentleman is in the drawing room, Prilla answered, handing the two visiting cards to her young mistress. Donald Keith, USA, read Violet with a brightening countenance as she glanced at the first. On the upper was inscribed, L. Raymond, USN. Violet hastened to the drawing-room, met her cousin with outstretched hand and cordial greeting. I am glad you have come, cousin Donald. We have all wanted you, you to see Iron. Thank you, cousin Violet. You can't have wished it for more than I, I am sure, he said with a look of delight. Allow me to introduce my friend, Captain Raymond, of the Navy. You see, I took your grandfather at his word and brought a friend with me. Violet had already given her hand to her cousin's friend. As such, he must have no doubtful welcome. But, at Donald's concluding sentence, she turned to him again with a look of surprised inquiry. He was about to answer when the door opened and Mr. Dinsmore, his wife and daughter, came in. There were fresh greetings and introductions, Miss Dinsmore saying as he shook hands with the guests. So you received my hasty note, Donald, and accepted for yourself and a friend. That was all right. You are both most welcome, and we hope you will find Iron pleasant enough to be willing to prolong your stay and desire to visit us again. Thank you. I was certain of that before I came, said Donald. And surely am now that I am here remarked the captain gallantly, with an admiring glance from Mrs. Dinsmore's still bright and comely face, the beautiful ones of Elsie and her daughter. Elsie's beauty had not faded. She was still young and fair in appearance, with the same pure and innocent expression which old Mrs. Dinsmore had been wont to stigmatize as that babyish look, and Violet's face was peerless in its fresh young beauty. As for the captain himself, he was a man of noble countenance, commanding presence, and magnificent physique, with fine dark eyes and an abundance of dark brown curly hair and beard. Evidently Donald Senior by some years, yet not looking much, if at all, over thirty. The two older ladies presently left the room to reappear shortly in dinner dress. While they were gone, Mr. Dinsmore engaged the captain in conversation, and Donald and Violet talked together in a lower side. Your sister is well, I do sincerely hope. He remarked interrogatively. Elsie, we had letters from her and Edward this morning. They were well at the time of writing. They are not at home, then, he said in a tone of surprise and disappointment. Oh, no. Hadn't you heard? And Violet's eyes filled. It is very foolish, I'm afraid, she went on in half-tremulous tones, in answer to his inquiring look. But I can't help feeling that Lester Leland has robbed me of my sister. She is married and has gone to a home of her own. Violet answered by telling a story as succinctly as possible. 
he was in italy pursuing his art studies they had become engaged shortly before he went and a few weeks ago we heard he was very ill with typhoid fever elsie at once said she must go to him she could not let him die for lack of good nursing so grandpa and mamma consented to her going with edward and our faithful old ben papa's favourite servant who travelled for years with him in europe for protectors of course she took a maid too and aunt louise offered to go with them but was taken sick in new york and had to be left behind they found lester very but not hopelessly ill and the joy of seeing them had an excellent effect so they were married cousin donald just think how sad for poor elsie away from mamma and all of us except edward it was very sad for her i am sure he said with warm sympathy and very very noble and unselfish in her to leave all for him yes and yet not more i think than any woman of right mind would do for the man she loved well enough to marry harold and herbert came in at that moment full of boyish enthusiasm and delight over the arrival of cousin donald who they both liked and admired extremely especially for his fine figure soldierly bearing and pleasant kindly manner they had hardly done shaking hands with him and captain raymond to whom their captain introduced them with a look of paternal pride when their grandmother and grandma rose returned to the drawing-room and dinner was announced End of chapter seven